Greetings all and welcome to the Courageous Path podcast with me, Rachel Horton White and Soulful Work Intuitive Consulting. You can learn more about me at www.soulfulworkconsulting.com and don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast here to get the latest interviews as they come up. I am an intuitive coach, spiritual teacher, and writer. I work with people searching to uncover who they really are and what they're meant to be doing. Merging the spiritual with the everyday through thoughts, emotions, and energy, I support people like you to break through stuck patterns and find your true inner self. I hope you enjoy today's interview. Sometimes we come across people in our lives who we find incredibly inspiring, who persevere through great difficulty for a greater cause. When it comes to our children as parents, we can sometimes be unstoppable. And this is the case with Bo Bigelow, who exemplifies, for me, someone walking a courageous path tirelessly through his advocacy for his daughter, seeking answers on the rare disease that has rendered her nonverbal. And he also, through his political activism, shows this advocacy having a direct impact on our world and our country. I hope you enjoy this inspiring conversation with Bo and the work that he's done. Bo Bigelow is a father, writer, attorney, and rare disease advocate. He and his wife made national news when they used social media to find a diagnosis for the genetic disorder his daughter faces. Those same efforts led him to a researcher who is now investigating the disorder. Bo hosts the podcast Stronger Every Day and has written a book of the same name. He co-founded Disorder, the Rare Disease Film Festival, slated for October 17 in Boston. He lives in Falmouth with his wife and two children. Good morning, Bo. Good morning, Rachel. So nice to see you. Thank you so much for coming and um, talking to me this morning. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, I was um, I found you through your wife, who I went to high school with, mm-hmm. Kate McCran, um, and saw what you were doing in your life with your family, with your daughter Tess, um, and particularly advocating for her, and then what you've been doing in the political world, being an activist. And I, I just found you to be um, so inspiring for me personally, and I'm sure for many other people. So, um, so can you talk a little bit about, I guess, starting with your daughter? I know you, you share your story, uh, your, experience, your family's experience supporting her and your son, um, and in a in a blog and a podcast, and why? What made you want to kind of go public with with her story? Maybe you can talk a little bit about what that story is too. Sure, sure. So, um, so Tess has a rare disease. She's seven, um, but it's a really ultra rare disease. So rare that it doesn't have a name, and there are only uh, twenty cases in the world that we know of, so far. And so, what it means is that she's nonverbal. And she only started to walk recently, and cognitively, she's basically at the level of a toddler, like a one-and-a-half-year-old is kind of where she's at developmentally. So um, it's been a challenging thing for us, um, just trying to figure out what her scenario is and when it doesn't fit into a, a neatly defined kind of category of, of disease, not getting a diagnosis has been has been difficult. And so 
what has helped for me at least is to just start to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So for the first year or two of her life, we didn't know what was going on. And I just thought if I am silent about it, you know, we'll figure it out. Or I don't know what I was thinking about, but I just wasn't talking about it with anybody really. Mm-hmm. And um, I discovered once I did start to talk about it, that that in itself was helpful to just kind of realize, oh, well, this is how I feel about that thing that just happened. You know, if, you, if you're able to write something down about an experience at the supermarket or a meltdown in a public restaurant, you know, how, do you, how, did, how did I feel about that? Like, what would I have done differently? And being able to process it, I think, has been, has been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, something that I, um, I remember reading was... But you mentioned this, 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 is it fair to call it, did you say disease? Is that it's even, a disease. Okay, sure. disease. doesn't even have a name. That's how rare it is. But I, I feel like I, I remember reading that you were just trying to f- connect with other people who may have had the same thing or who knew somebody who had it. And yeah. is that partly why you kind of put the word out there? Yes, yes. So uh, I read a story in The New Yorker about uh, another dad uh, Mm -hmm. of the child with an ultra rare disease and they were at the same place we were where they had gotten a bunch of rounds of genetic testing of their child and they knew which gene was affected but they didn't know much more about that Mm. and mapping the genome is a relatively new thing so they were at the end of the road the geneticist told them look you know we know which gene it is but we don't know what this gene does or or we don't know of any other cases so this is kind of the end of the road for you there's not much more we can do to help you and this guy didn't want to give up on that and so he's a computer science guy and figured out a way to uh, use the internet to find other people because what we do so if you're one of these parents and you have an undiagnosed child what you do at night after you get your kids to bed is you google stuff right yeah. you get online and you figure out what are the symptoms we're dealing with and maybe you know the gene maybe you don't but you just start to google stuff put them in quotes you know this and that this but not and that, your wife's a right? doctor too but she's not that kind of a doctor right it's another <laughs> language that's the way she puts it she's <laughs> yeah um so she didn't know either and and also you know i think it's important for her to not be Tess's doctor. She just wants to be her mom, and that's a really important thing for Mm -hmm. her, which I totally understand. Mm -hmm. Um, So this other dad just put out some instructions, like a blueprint about how to do this. And instead of you sitting at your computer and Googling stuff, what you do is you use certain key phrases and genetics language, and Mm. you set up what he called an internet beacon. You, You set it up with the right language and everything, and you kind of turn it on and then you wait for other people to Google your stuff and find you. And so that's what we decided to do and it worked. Um, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, we're really lucky because 20 years ago there wasn't any way to do this. I mean, we had the internet, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't being used to the extent it is now social media wise. And so we were really lucky in that our friends and family spread our story really quickly and their friends did. And pretty soon, we had thousands of people sharing it, people we didn't even know, total strangers who were just trying to help us find an answer. And we were really excited because 24 hours later, this team at Baylor in Texas, uh, a team of geneticists, contacted us and said, this is a gene that we work on. We're working on it right now. We're about to publish a paper. And we know of other patients 
Wow. We couldn't believe it. So yeah. Kate and I, our heads exploded. We just couldn't believe That's that. called going viral. It went viral. <laughs> it definitely did. When was this? So this was uh, September, uh, about a year and a half ago now. A year and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's not too, too long ago. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, I guess it was August that yeah. we found the team and started to talk to them. And it was great because they knew of seven other patients they were working with. Yeah. And essentially Tess would be the eighth. And just before you even talk to any of those families or anything, just knowing that you aren't the only case in the entire world, just that alone is so, such a relief. Yeah. 20 people, did you say? And so, yeah. 20 so cases? Now there are, there are actually 21 now, um, wow. as of yesterday. That is still, that is, I don't think I've ever heard of anything so rare. It's pretty rare. And there are others yeah. that are even more rare, where right. you really are the only case in the world, yeah. you know, for, for now. Huh. Um, and so what the team at Baylor asked, asked us to do is to continue, even though we'd found each other and it was great and we were excited to be the eighth patient, they said, look, there's got to be more people out there. There just have to be. And so let's, let's find them. And please do your blog and podcast and keep, keep spreading it and keep, keep trying to find other patients for us. And that is really working. So we went from eight to now 21. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people are finding us. People Google stuff. They just happen to hear about the podcast and they listen and they say, oh, this is our, this is us. So you put, I'm just thinking, I mean, because I happened, when you mentioned the word beacon, that's so funny because I use that phrase, put my beacon out instead of marketing because I don't like using the word marketing. <laughs> and, um, and so I find it so fascinating that you did that and that you harnessed the power of the internet. And, you know, a lot of us, many of us today complain about people getting addicted to social media and the internet and they're always in their phones, but it can be an incredible tool that, and you have found, you have, um, you have used it in that way. And it sounds like you're really helping, I mean, potentially transforming or saving lives through your blog and podcast by connecting with other people too. And through that little code you mentioned Mm -hmm. on the internet. Mm -hmm. Well, I hear from a lot of people who are still in the dark. They still are looking for their people and they know they're out there and they're trying to figure out how to do it. So I, I mean, this wasn't my idea. I got it mm-hmm. from this guy, Matt might. So I immediately share his blueprint. It's up on the internet for anybody who wants to use it. And I, what's his name? How do, his or name how do you spell it? Might, might, M I G H T. Matt. Matt. Might. Might. Yep. Okay. He's from Utah and right. uh, he right. has the plan that works. I mean, it really does work. Yeah. And so other people have had a lot of success, uh, using his method and finding their people. And so I, I'm excited whenever it works. Yeah. Know, like. But that's what I think so many, you know, that's how, with anything trying to, with people trying to connect for social activism or civil rights or, you know, around the world and some places where they don't have um, as much access to that, the internet has transformed how pe- pe- people being able to connect and then, and we're going to talk about the political thing in a little bit, but mm-hmm. about, you know, how with the power of the citizens that's that's where true long-lasting change can come from the people i think so, so. And absolutely you're just an example of that so and so something that you mentioned before was these other families who were trying to find and probably still people who are have a child who's suffering in some way and they you know from a disease or some kind of condition or anybody in their a loved one that you know they're and it, it, i cannot even imagine how frustrating that must be and heartbreaking when you can't help you, you must feel helpless and and it must and I imagine so many people get to the point where they just want to give up because 
you know, especially when you don't get any answers, but you didn't (laughs) give up. And, you know, um, just what was that like? I mean, that process of going through just, did you ever get to the point where you're like, we'll just guess, just deal with what we have information we have and we're not going to keep working on it. But, you know, what is it that about (laughs) you that made you want to keep fighting (laughs) or searching? Well, we, we actually did give up for a little while. So we, the genetics folks told us this is the end of the line for right. you. And not knowing what to do, we just tried to come to terms with that and accept it and say, this is our, this is our Tess. We love her the way she is. We're going to help her have the greatest life she can and do the most that she can. But on this front, anyway, there's not much more we can do. But it, it, uh, we never really embraced that giving up thing. We were trying to, to, to be at peace with it. But it just wasn't happening because <laughs> my wife and I are not the kind of people to give up on stuff. We're both yeah. runners. I think that might be part of it. <laughs> You're like, like that type A driven yeah, personality. We don't sit still. We just yeah. have a hard time. Like our first date was a really long run, like a long distance run. I mean, we, <laughs> we have a running problem. <laughs> There's no question about it. Oh, that sounds, that's good though. You, it's an asset. Yeah. yeah. And so the the if you're in the land of the undiagnosed the uncertainty of that and the unsolvedness of it it just it gets into your bones and you and and it's with you all the time Mm -hmm. and it's it wakes you up at night and it's sometimes the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning it's just like Mm -hmm. it's really unsettling and and um it's painful I think for a lot of people and so we never really were able to to come to terms with mm-hmm. it and and but but it was much later mm-hmm. that I read this New Yorker article about Matt might mm-hmm. and uh, another dad whose child uh, has the same disease a guy named Matt Wilsey so these two dads were like us you know mm. I'm reading the story two mats right two mats yeah <laughs> so two mats they're yeah. uh they're great. They're great, yeah. and they're and they're they've been a resource to our family. Uh, you know, I've been in touch with both of them since uh, since we figured out Tess's deal with with her gene, and they they were like us though in that they weren't willing to give up and that they were wanting to find more people, and it's worked for them. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, but but you know, reading that the New Yorker article was a really emotional thing. You know, I read it and I had tried to push away the idea of moving forward and trying to solve it and had just tried to let that go and to bring it back uh was painful in a way you you mm-hmm. I'm reading the article and uh, I'm picking up my son at summer camp and I'm just mm-hmm. like sobbing in the car yeah. you know and mm-hmm. uh and I had I had Kate read it too and it was hard for her mm-hmm. too like okay so we're not gonna let this go and we are gonna push forward and and maybe not get an answer mm-hmm. but but giving up is now not an option mm-hmm. we really need yeah. to go forward with it I as you're talking I mean the work I do with people as you may know is very spiritual focused and so what I'm was you know coming up when you're saying this is that we don't like nobody likes uncertain nobody likes to live with the unknown people who God forbid, of, you know, a child who they can't find. They don't know what happened to them. Or, you know, or just something that's just, you know, this missing, there's a no resolution. And so, you know, but you must have coped. And then you decided to 
let it go and you release control and you surrender to the process, but then the universe somehow said to you, no, it's not done yet, but it's almost like maybe you had to go to that place of just acceptance and then, you know, the answer came later when you weren't looking for it. Is mm-hmm. that kind of, do you, is that kind of how it worked or I mean, and I, yeah, I don't know if you view it that way at all, but. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, the point of acceptance for us was to recognize that Tess has a, a great deal of potential no matter what happens with the genetics. In other words, if we decide to look and find and set up the beacon and it doesn't work at all and she really is the only case in the world, that's okay. Yeah. You know, you've, you've figured out what is the worst case scenario here. The worst case is we're the only case in the world and it's, maybe it's fatal. You know, maybe we have no idea, but Tess is only going to be with us for a short time. But the worst case is still pretty great. Mm-hmm. You know, we have her now mm-hmm. and we know how to communicate with her without words. And we, we speak Tess, you know, we know mm-hmm. what she wants sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's incredible, <laughs> um, though, that you can still communicate. What do you do to communicate yeah. just out of curiosity? Uh, right now, communication is one of our big priorities so we're yeah. working on a series of cards uh, it's mm-hmm. called PEX P-E-C-S hmm. um, she also has an iPad that she uses to oh, talk oh yeah and she's getting on board with that it's, it's, it's a slow process does she choose pictures or sound it's pictures it's picture and yeah. sound mm-hmm. but it's really hard to Amazing. know what's getting through because she has a visual impairment mm-hmm. um, the, her eyes work work mm-hmm. well but it's the when when her eyes are speaking to her brain and telling her what she's seeing, that's where there's a disconnect mm. of some variety. And we oh. think there's one with her ears as well. Mm. Uh, we notice there's a delay. You know, if, if there's a loud sound and you and I are startled and we jump as soon as it happens, like a door slamming, if she's sitting here on the couch next to you and the door slams, you could count to five and then wow. the sound kind of reaches her brain and she... Wow. You know, looks in the direction of the door way after we do. So interesting. So it's hard to know what she's hearing and seeing, uh, but we are we are managing to get through it. She's very opinionated and very uh, persistent. Really? <laughs> yes. If you're not doing what she wants, she will. She gets frustrated. She yeah. gets frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she has her own personality that that's comes for sure. through. She's very. She's tenacious. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's it's just incredible. Some of what. Um, what technology is able to do for people, you know, for communication wise. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I just have so many questions. We only have so much time, but I mean, I know that you personally have, you left a law practice years, maybe when, maybe it was soon after she was born to help parent her. And, and, you know, that in itself, I know that now you're working a, a little bit again, but what was that like for you to make that decision and to, yeah, for it you? It was an adjustment for sure. So uh, when we moved to Maine, it was uh, seven years ago. And the plan was my, my wife had finished her training. Uh, we were in the New Haven, Connecticut area, and I was working in New York. And the plan was for us to move here, and she would start her new job in Maine, and I would find a law job here. And so I was kind of shopping around for where to work and uh, I had taken the bar exam here in Maine and that was that was the plan you know get the kids in daycare and eventually school and just both of us both of us would work and when we moved to Maine though Tess was only a few months old and we started to realize that she was very delayed 
with her milestones and increasingly delayed and then and then we realized that me going back to work just wasn't an option it just wasn't going to happen we needed to get physical therapy occupational therapy speech uh, which is a full-time job which, just organizing all that yeah and those so we were fortunate that we could do it that my wife started her job and I was able to be home uh with Tess and with our son and it is definitely a different scenario from working all uh, full time, um, mm-hmm. especially because there aren't that many guys who do. I know. I feel like stay at home dads are a kind know. of a rare breed. But more and more though, there yeah. are more. I just told you there's one that down the street from That's us. That's great. I'm yeah. glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah, and my husband sometimes like he's a stay at home dad in the summers because he's a teacher. But oh, okay. Different. Anyway, that but, definitely counts. Yeah, I it mean... counts a little bit. Um, <laughs> So do you have so so yeah keep going so you didn't find you haven't found that many other dads probably in in your situation exactly your situation is pretty rare yeah it's it was really isolating mostly because if you do manage to find other parents who have kids around your age I mean very quickly those kids were leaving tests in the dust you know they their kids are are walking and talking and doing this and that, and Tess is not. It's not like you can just have a play date. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, Tess has had a few play dates with certain kids who really get it, who Mm -hmm. get the picture and want to be friends with her and don't care that she's nonverbal. They just love her. And and those kids' parents, I mean, whenever that happens, whenever there's a play date, I just want to... Grab the parents of that kid and just give him a big hug. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> to say that's... thanks, you know, for including mm-hmm. Tess and like yeah. making her part of it. I mean, that's yeah. And I, I think you, I mean, um, in terms of schooling, I know that these days children with special needs are not in their own separate classroom. Off, or maybe they are in some schools, but I, from what I remember hearing about you guys, that you were really adamant that she that you wanted her to be in a classroom with all the other kids yes right? is that right how did and how i mean is that working out okay and, yeah it's yeah. working out well so inclusion is really yeah. important um putting tess off in a room by herself all day every day is, is the wrong thing to do, of course obviously yeah. and i think uh the school the public school where she is has been really great about that she has autism that's part of her her scenario and so um she can't tolerate being in the classroom all day um she doesn't do well with heat and Mm -hmm. a lot of noise and in first grade there's a lot of both (laughs) Mm -hmm. in that classroom so Mm -hmm. she likes to take breaks and she'll let people know when she's going to take a break but we want her to be with them as much as possible and Mm -hmm. and for us what it's about is this is the, the biggest thing I want people to know about when she's in school is that she's a person she's a person just like just like you and me. And the, the biggest, another reason that I started the podcast is to spread that message that Tess is a person. We were at a family gathering and we had a relative come up when Tess was really little and still not responding much at all, almost kind of catatonic. You weren't getting a lot back from her. We weren't, we didn't know anything about her vision stuff, but we knew she wasn't seeing us. She didn't seem to know us or respond to her name. We just weren't getting a lot back from her, but we you know, we'd brought her to this beach and we were hanging out. And so this relative came up and said, just think, someday she'll turn into a person. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I don't think it came from a bad place. Right. I think he was trying to talk about hope, I think was what he was going for. Uh, but it never dawned on him how how hurtful that idea yeah. might be that because Tess doesn't 
walk and talk like the other kids that she's somehow less of a person or not a person at mm-hmm. all um and so it's it's important i think in school to to make it clear that tess is a person she's a student like you like you other kids and um i think otherwise it's easy to make her sort of the mascot of the class like hey it's tess she's visiting us She's visiting our first grade class, like, hi, and they wave, and it's like a parade, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and they aren't really including her, and she's not part of the group. She's just a visitor, a novelty. Yeah, yeah novelty, and, right. And, yeah. and so we really, we re- we really want to make her part of that group. Mm-hmm. Like any other student. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a little, maybe a little bit different. You know, I, I'm i trying to, I was thinking, oh, should I tell them this? Or tell, but I, but I, I am going to, because from a spiritual perspective, I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but some people say that children who are, you know, autistic, a lot of them autistic these days, are here because they're here to teach us. And they're, and like, they're operating in a level of consciousness that is much higher than the rest of us. And so they don't, and Tessa certainly has that and more. And my my view, I, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but you know, that there's so... So many children, why are, you know, people wonder why are so many children being born autistic? There's probably a variety of reasons for that. But, um, but that, you know, I talk a lot about this shift in consciousness. And, and I, th- I see so many children these days who are different in many, in many good ways, more open. And so, you know, the nonverbal, it's like, is there something to learn from that? So I, have you, do you feel, do you ever feel like, think that way? Or feel like you're learning from her and her presence is there for a reason in your lives? We've talked about this actually. This very okay, idea. Sure. yeah. Sure. Like mm-hmm. uh, I think the way Kate put it, there's, you know, there's villages in Asia where that that person in the group is is venerated and it's celebrated. The sage, and, right? Absolutely. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we think about that a lot. You know, what is uh, what is the purpose of this, and what what are we learning from it? What is Tess teaching us? Uh, we do think about that, and I think we've learned a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, I think you. A lot of it is about letting go of control, mm-hmm. and just trusting that um, the people that are there to help her are are really gonna gonna do that, and that um, she is going to be able to have a happy life um, in spite of her challenges. Um, we think about that a lot. We think about our son, who's typical. He's ten. And uh, what that's about. What's his know, name? His name is Dana. Dana, yes. Yeah, that must be uh, very different for him, too. Yeah. It is. I mean, he has a sibling ways. and he yeah. has somebody to play with, but he he gets frustrated because she's yeah. not like other, you know, his friend's siblings. Mm-hmm. He can't play a board game with her. He can't really do the things. He can't run around with her. But um, but they do some sibling things. Yeah, it's teaching they've, him something too, right? Yeah, they've figured out the things they can do, like wrestling. No, yeah. <laughs> no speech necessary, let's wrestle. Right, and and right. she gives him a run for his money. It's great. Yep, that's cool. There's yeah. too much talking in this world anyway. So, <laughs> um, so I just want to shift for a second to, because um, we could, oh my gosh, it's just so fascinating. Everything with Tess, and it's, I, I'd love to, maybe I will meet her someday since we live in your same town. Um, but you also have started um, doing a, a political activism. And I've noticed, I think we're friends, we became friends on Facebook, that you're going to Susan Collins' office every week, is it? 
and and posting about it. Um, so how does it, you know, I, I can imagine why you're doing it. <laughs> I think all of any of us know why, but how is this, how do you see this, what you're doing is, you know, creating some sense of hope if you see any, or, you know, part of this broader movement for political and social change in this country? Um, well, I think, you know, I went through a period of, of paralysis really right after the election and I, I wasn't sure what to do. And, um, eventually my Netflix queue was empty, so I had to do something. (laughs) Yeah. No more distractions. (laughs) Right. Eventually you come out of that and you say, you know, is there anything that I can actually do? Um, because I think for me personally, the way I saw it was going to your Senator's office and making a sign and going to a protest that was something that other people do, you know, that's for activists, Mm -hmm. but I'm not that, that's not me. I've never, like I've fought for Tess plenty, you know, getting things in her school and, um, you know, making people see her as a person, these things we've been talking about. I've been doing that for years, but, but as far as political activism, I don't have time to do that. That's for someone else. Uh, you know, older people from Mm -hmm. the sixties who, you know, (laughs) play the guitar and, have gotten arrested Old a few hippies, dozen yeah. times. Yeah, right. Hippies. <laughs> like, that's for hippies to do. That's not me. That's yeah. not my thing. Yeah. But the problem is, Tess's disease is really rare. There's no foundation that represents her. There's no group that goes to City Hall, mm. that goes to the Capitol, that goes and marches no her. Lobbying. Yeah. Nobody's doing anything for her. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is so rare that if anybody's going to do anything for her, it's got to be me. Nobody else is going to do this for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I started doing it. And I I got some help from a really good friend who knows a lot about activism and has been an organizer for a while. And he mm-hmm. he activated me. He made me see, look, you know, you're you're reading the paper and you're seeing there's 40 things that are making you insane about the direction that this country is going. And you're upset because this isn't what you're about. Like you don't you don't see women that way and you don't see immigrants that way. And you're upset about so many different things. But when he activated me, his point was, well, what matters to you? What is your story? Like if something is going to make you get in your car and go to your senator's office, like what is that one thing or what are those two things? Mm. And that suddenly made it simpler. It's Mm. not that I'm not upset about all that other stuff because I really am and and when there's an opportunity to take action on those things I I do if I can if time allows but but for me if I'm able to just look through the news and see okay what will affect Tess you know what's going to matter to her well education is one mm-hmm. and how about healthcare okay so there's two really big complicated things and if I just make my voice heard on those two things that's that's plenty. Yes. I mean, that's plenty of stuff. And so I'm not an expert in this. I haven't been doing it long at all. Yeah. I'll, everything I know, I basically know because of this friend that I'm telling you and about. And what's his name? Your his friend? name's Andrew. Andrew. Great. Yeah. He's been doing this a while and he has a way of, of just making you realize that you do have power, that you're not powerless. I think, I think what's been so hard for everybody in the last few months is feeling powerless yeah you know reading about a a remark about uh 
about immigrants, about people from a certain country as being just bad people mm-hmm. and thinking, well, there's nothing I can do about that because, because we've rewarded the people who think that. We've elected them. Mm, right. We've put them in office. Like they're, the, the comeuppance, the sort of reckoning mm-hmm. that's supposed to come mm-hmm. when you make those kinds of remarks in public, that's, that hasn't happened. We've gone the opposite direction. And yeah. so I think everybody feels powerless, including me. And what's great about Andrew and what he did for me is he made it clear you're not you're not powerless. And even if you're the only person that goes into that office and you're talking to Senator Collins' staff, they have to listen to you. Right. Because they work for you. <laughs> you're the boss. Yeah. You know, you can go in there and and be shy and and um not say what's on your mind, or you can go in and say, I'm the boss. You work for me, Mm -hmm. and you're not doing what I want, Mm -hmm. and this isn't what my country is about, Mm -hmm. and you got to change that. Mm -hmm. So is that what you do? You tell them, do you say, do you literally have conversations like that, or do you leave letters, or? I do a lot of those things, yeah, Mm -hmm. so the in-person conversations mostly have been about education lately. Mm -hmm. Just with the staff, whoever's there? Yes, yeah. I usually am able to talk to the, the woman who runs the office in Portland. Mm-hmm. And um, she makes herself available. She's been great about coming out, spending time, listening, taking notes. Um, mm. She says she's passing it along to the senator. I, I believe that she is. Um, the senator, uh, Senator Collins, isn't necessarily voting my way every time, but I'm grateful that I can do that and that I can go in every week and that um, that we can talk about these things. Yeah. And then uh, I make phone calls too. I called the D.C. office. I called the Portland office. I think that's effective. Yeah, do you th- I mean, I, I was wondering that because I know that people sometimes say, oh, what's most effective? Like, is it, have, do you, what is your experience? Like signing the online petitions or calling or writing letters or going, what do you think if somebody has time? I think your suggestions about just pick one or two things is so brilliant because people just get, overwhelmed and they just feel paralyzed and they don't know where to start because there's so many places right but just picking one or two and then so what yeah what's the best way that like what is what is actually getting through or getting mm-hmm. heard that's a great question the, in your opinion yeah no uh, I think that if you're able to do anything at all if you're able to take action and you weren't doing anything before that's great Doing something is a million times better than even if it's just nothing. sharing it on your Facebook feed, absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah. Getting people talking, mm-hmm. sharing an article—that's a great thing to do. If if your default was nothing, um, but what what they say in organizing circles that I learned from my friend Andrew is the more effort that something takes to do, the more effective it will be. Mm, yeah, so, sure. With one big exception, donating money, which takes almost no effort and can have a big impact. But just in terms of yeah. activism. You know, if, if you sign an online petition, that's a really good start. But if you write a personal email that's from you, and not just cut and paste the contents of the petition, but, <coughs> but write yeah. about you and your story. You know, telling your story is, is one of the most powerful things you can do. And an email is great to do. If you have time to go to your member of Congress and tell your story in person, that's even better. Mm-hmm. They, because um, then they remember you or the staff person remembers absolutely. it must mean a lot to this person because they actually came here absolutely yeah. because they they have to keep track okay well the Senator Collins will call her staff in Portland and say what's what's going on what's the word on the street what are you guys he, seeing and hearing and if they say look 
50 people came in today and said, you got to vote against this cabinet nominee because climate change or, you know, whatever. That's a big thing. That's a big thing. If that many people leave their house, get in their car, drive downtown, mm-hmm. come in, spend time telling that mm-hmm. staff how they feel, that, that can be really powerful. And if it's, you know, she's in, where's her office? If people are in Portland, it's in... It's one canal plaza. So it's kind of across from Bard Coffee. Is that the Key Bank building? Yes, it is. Right. It is. I know my mom's office is there. Okay. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> to find. But just go in sometimes. there, right? What floor is it? Eight. Eight, Eight floor. floor. So if somebody's on their lunch break and they work downtown... Absolutely. And I just yeah. found out they open at 8 a.m. So even oh, if you don't have lunch or can't work. get away, like before work, yeah. maybe one day a week, get some people together. And yeah. What time do they close? I think five. So you could go sure get five. out early? Sure. Go sure. all three times if you want. So what I think is great about what we've been doing every Tuesday is it started out with just a couple of us, with Andrew and me, and, and then we brought more people. And you want to let somebody know, like, this is, this is something you do now. You're an activist now. It's not for hippies. It's for you. And then they go, and you just see this thing happen to them where as they're speaking, while they're still in the office, you just see in their face, like, wow, I have a voice, and I can do this. And then before you know it, they're saying, all right, next week when I come, you know, I'm going to bring my friend from work. Yeah. And then they bring somebody. And pretty soon you've got a lot of people. It's amazing. It's that snowball effect. You know, I'm thinking our babysitter, Liz Colburn. Okay. She has gone. I remember she takes care of my daughter. She talks a couple Tuesdays. She's gone to Susan Collins' office and spoken on a... Uh, so I feel like it's probably you probably run into her. (laughs) So she probably went partly because of what you guys are doing. So... Great. Thank you so much for doing that. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's so important. Um, so, you know, it sounds like you've given some really good words of advice just now to people who, you know, politically are feeling overwhelmed and want to do something. And then mm-hmm. back to, you know, to Tess and parents like Tess who may be very afraid right now, not just, uh, you know, not just because of what they've been dealing with for years, potentially with, with trying, trying to help their child, but now politically worrying that services might be taken away or just um, people being elected who don't seem to understand uh, what, you know, in, in terms of that and also just feeling supported and emotionally healthy, what might, what might you say to some of those parents or um, like you, parents like you? I would oh. say you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you maybe are one of those families who's undiagnosed and you think you're the only case in the world, I bet there's somebody out there who's dealing with the same situation that you are. Like maybe your child is having seizures and there's a support group on Facebook about seizures. Just because you don't have the same disease doesn't mean you're not dealing with some of the same stuff. So you're you're probably feeling isolated and alone, but you're not. And as far as the political activism piece of it, I would say whatever you can do is great. If it's, a, if it's an online petition, that's great. If you have time to make a phone call, that's even better. But whatever you're able to do, I think will make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to just realize that you, you're not powerless. Mm-hmm. That starfish analogy, <laughs> throwing the back the one right. starfish. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think we're going to look back on this time as an extraordinary rebirth of civic engagement. You know, I, I'm disappointed about the election, but I, th- I think if there's any positive side to that, I think it's that people are paying attention now. You know, the, yes. 
the Muslim ban goes into effect and the Ninth Circuit on the West Coast is having an oral argument at 6 p.m. Eastern time and and thousands of people tune it in over dinner. Yeah, who would have done that years right. ago? They're right. like listening to lawyers argue about right. really obscure, weird points of law and they're they're, they're riveted, engaged. right? We're, we're, engaged. we're they're re-engaged. Engaged. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you are really overwhelmed, if you're one of those families and you're just barely making it, I mean, because I, I know what that feels like. You are the at-home parent and it's a full-time job and then some and you are exhausted and you really can't do anything more than you're doing right now that is okay yeah that's okay because Mm -hmm. there's other people who are working on this Mm -hmm. who are on the job for you yeah and there are and I think you said social media is an incredible tool are there any in-person people who are around here like support because I know sometimes it's helpful to connect over the internet, but it's not quite the same, mm-hmm. you know, as, as in person. And, and do you know anything around here, like support groups or just meetups? Or... Yeah, I mean, political well, ones? Or... I was thinking more for parents of children with special needs or, um, parent, yeah, parents, maybe political, maybe both, but I was thinking more of, the, of that. Um, I haven't found... A lot of options for that. I Interesting. Think, you know, I looked for many years, and I think they're probably out there, and I just haven't found them. I mean, you know, Are you on meetup.com? Meetup? Uh, well, I'm gonna, that's my little plug. Meetup. Is There's a lot of stuff do? on okay. Meetup. Yes, I found huh. a lot on meetup.com. Okay. So anyway, maybe you might check it out, but there, <laughs> I bet you there might be one there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, if, if, you're in, if you're bef- your child is before school age... I mean, it's really hard yeah, to meet tough. anybody else uh, yeah. who's in your scenario. So, uh, but meetup.com. Right? Yeah, and yeah. just, well, but even starting with social media like you've done, you know, mm-hmm. connecting and, and mm-hmm. maybe there's somebody that lives near you and you yeah. could like meet meet somewhere halfway if they live sure. a couple hours away. But anyway. I mean, we have a group on yeah. Facebook called Main Rare. Oh, great. Perfect. And, uh, yeah, it's just a Facebook group. Main Rare, M-A-I-N-E. Yep, Main Rare. Rare. Okay. There are two, actually. One of them is kind of a public group for uh, if you're just uh, an ally of somebody who has a rare disease. But then there's a smaller closed group for families only. Okay. Um, and that allows you to, to talk about service providers and you know medical stuff without worrying about stuff getting out yeah and that's incredibly important and so, yeah absolutely and so we have meetups from time to time we had one oh, on rare disease beautiful. day um at salvage barbecue in portland and we try to get together at least once a year on that day but we have other stuff from time to time so and and we're not going to be uh strict about you know how rare is your disease or whatever i mean it's if you're dealing with yeah. something we'd love to have you so that's great so if um, you feel like that's right for you then yeah check it out um and how can people find you if they want to read your blog and listen to your podcast so uh the podcast is on itunes and stitcher mm-hmm. uh my website is portlandrootsmedia.com uh you can find me on facebook uh it's facebook.com slash bigelow books Bigelow books. Yeah, right. that's a good way to just follow kind of. Well, you wrote a book. What was the name of the What's the name of the book you wrote? The book is the same title as my podcast, which okay. is Stronger Every Day. Mm-hmm. And so there's details Great. about that. It's on Amazon, but you can also find it on my Facebook awesome. page. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bo, for talking, and thank, thank you, you even more importantly for all that you're doing for 
I know it came from, you know, your daughter, helping your daughter and your family, but it's had this spillover effect to um, helping many people, I'm sure, probably in more ways than you know, so. Thanks. Thanks, Angel. It's been an honor. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to this interview. I hope you enjoyed it. This has been the Courageous Path podcast, and don't forget to subscribe or follow it here. To learn more about me, you can find me at www.soulfulworkconsulting.com. And I'm Rachel Horton White of Soulful Work Intuitive Consulting. Hope to see you next time and have a wonderful day.